Again, if you're our guest here at City, I want to welcome you, say thank you for being here with us. And very specifically put, we are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. And what that, in essence, means is this, is that every Sunday morning, we teach from the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the rule of faith and conduct, and so um, we teach from that every Sunday morning. Relationally-driven means that we believe, and the Bible teaches, that relationship is the most important thing in life. There's nothing more important than relationship with others, and we believe also our relationship with God. And then spirit-led just simply means this, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us to live out what we learn in a biblically-based church, and the Holy Spirit is there to help us in the midst of the relationships of our lives. How many of you would sit here and say that you have at least one relationship in your life where you have said, oh God, help me? Raise your hand. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit into this world to help us in the relationships of our lives. And hopefully, you didn't turn and look at the person next to you when you said, yep, there's a person in my life and you're it, man or lady, whichever the case may be. So my name is Pete Hartwig and I serve as the lead pastor here at City. And um, we're going to be stepping into a new teaching series or sermon series that's called Why Church? Why Church? Now, I know some of you sitting here may say at the outset of this teaching series or sermon series that, man, you're just preaching to the choir, literally. But here's what I know. I know that every organization, I don't care what it is, every so often you have to think about, again, about this. Why do we do what we do? What is it that we do? And how should we be doing it? I don't care what organization it is, including the church. And so what we're going to be doing again is for the next several weeks, there's going to be a sermon series entitled, Why Church? I can tell you this, I'm excited about it. Now, for some of you, you're going to have heard some of this before, but it will affirm and confirm. And for others, though, we have people here at City, a great number of people who've never been involved with the church before, or they've never thought about why church. And so again, the stated purpose for this sermon series is to teach us about, biblically, the church. Now this morning, we're going to take a look at, in Scripture, the beginning, the birth of the church. We're going to look at that. And in that, there's a couple of things to understand. First of all, in the church, or I'm sorry, in the Bible, when there are beginnings, the Bible goes into incredible depth to help us understand the beginnings of very important things. As a matter of fact, the book of Genesis literally means beginning. And so the first three chapters of the book of Genesis is an in-depth uploading by God to us about the world in which we live and why it is the way it is. And then if you process through the Older Testament into the newer, you will discover when there are beginnings, God goes into, through the Scriptures, very specific things so that we can understand how things are beginning or birthed 
through God. So you'll see literally Adam and Eve creation and fall. Not long after that, we meet a guy named Abraham. And it's through Abraham that literally the Jewish people come into existence. Now, if you move past Abraham, there's another beginning or another birthing. And that is when the people of God, the Israelites, exit their servitude and their slavery in Egypt to Pharaoh, and they move towards the promised land. And as that happens, that's a new beginning. And the book of Exodus tracks that for us because God wants you to know, look, there's something new here. And God goes into incredible detail in his word. Then, of course, we get to the Newer Testament. And what bursts on the scenes, but literally the birth of Jesus. And you find two of the Gospels bring to us incredible understanding about the birth of Christ. Why? There's something new that God is doing. It's a new beginning. And God loves to inform us about these new things. Well, it's the same with the church. The church is born in the Newer Testament. And as we talk about why church... I felt like it was so important for us to begin with the scripture that brings to us literally the birthing of or the beginning of the church as you and I know it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read together from Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Now I want to say at the outset there's going to be more scripture read this morning than normal. But what I want to do is read the entire account of the birth of the church. And as we do, I want you to notice two things. Number one, notice in the scriptures we're getting ready to read the fullness of what's happening. The completeness, the all-inclusiveness of what's happening. Then I also want you to know this. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia, ekklesia. And it literally means ek or out of, it means the called out ones. So when you talk about being the church, you are the ekklesia, which literally means you've been called out by Jesus. You are the called out ones. In many ways, it's a political term. We're back in the time of Jesus and in the Greek and Roman world, if a politician went into a community, he would call out and people were called out to him. And so when you think about the word church, think about a group of people, not a building. As a matter of fact, if you took a first century Christian and you drove by City Church Central over on Ryle Road, and you pointed at it, and you said to that first century Christian, that's my church, it wouldn't resonate with them at all. You want to know why? They'd be looking for a group of people. So literally remember, as we talk for the next few weeks about the idea of the church, that it is always biblically a group of people and never a building. So let's pick up the story in our sermon series, Why Church, Where the Church is Born. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now we're getting ready to read from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by Dr. Luke. Luke was not one of the 12 disciples, but he also wrote a gospel. 
His name is Luke. Which gospel do you think he wrote? Luke. So Matthew, Mark, which one's next? Luke and John. So Luke took it upon himself to write a gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about the life of Jesus, and then the book of Acts is his inspirational writings about what it looks like for these people that met Jesus, walked with Jesus, after he was dead, buried, and resurrected. What did it look like as they lived out the life of being a follower of Jesus? That's what the book of Acts is about. So now we're going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to read the entire text. It will be on the screen behind me. But as I'm reading this, look for that sense of fullness or completeness or abundance in what we're getting ready to read. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what Dr. Luke pens under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he writes. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and, and the parts of Libya and Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, who hear them declaring the wonders of God, or we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. In other words, they're liquored up. Now, what happens next, we're not going to look at this morning. We're going to look at it later. But what happens next is the apostle Peter, who has the second best name in the New Testament, steps forward and he preaches a sermon to explain what's happening. And by the time he's done preaching, 3,000 men joined the church that day. 3,000. So what I want to do is look at what actually happens, though, in the texts that we just read. I want to look at what happens on the day when the church was born, and through that we'll discover some of the why, how, and what of what it means to be the church. What we read is literally the birth of the church. And you look at it and go, I don't see that. But theologically and biblically, that's what's happening. 
God pours out his Holy Spirit, and when he does on the day of Pentecost, hearts and lives are touched, people are able to speak languages they do not have never learned, other people hear those languages and recognize something's happening. We'll deal with that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you about your own birth story. What was it like when you were born? Now, most of you sitting here would say, I don't remember. I assume it happened, but I don't remember. Now, when you think about that, though, some of you actually do have a story to your birth. First of all, where were you born? Where were you born? Where you were born literally says something about you. Another question, is there a unique story that it goes in conjunction with your birth? Next, who was there when you were born besides your mom? Maybe some of us have a unique story about our birth. And then, some of you, the day on which you were born is unique. You might be known as a holiday baby. How many sitting here are born on a major holiday? Raise your hand. Real high. Any Christmas babies here? There's one. I feel very sorry for you. (laughs) Did you feel ripped off on your birthday growing up? He did. There we go. The wife is always the honest one. You see, where you're born, how you were born, what happens on the day that you're... Sometimes those things inform us about the person amazingly. I know that I've married into part of the Italian culture. And I remembered something I will never forget. There was a child that had been born. And in the midst of all of that, one of the Italians said something that fascinated me. There was a beauty mark on the baby, around the ankle or something. And one of the old Italians said this, well, that's where the mother touched herself with an olive when she was pregnant. (laughs) And she said it was scientific certainty (laughs) that what she had said was completely infallible It was scientifically, you couldn't argue it. I mean, just the way it was said. Oh, well. The mother touched her ankle there with an olive. And you know what I thought? This is true. Here's what I thought. I wish she'd have grabbed a handful of Skittles and touched herself there. And then the baby just, my creepy sense of humor. But the story of my birth is somewhat unique. You see, I'm adopted. And so if we could have the picture put up, thank you. Do you ever look at a baby picture and you can see intelligence (laughs) and superhuman ability and a future that's prosperous? You ever do that? Look, as a parent, I remember when my son was bored holding him, and if he made a noise, I would go, he's a genius. He's just, how many parents know what I'm talking about? He's just a genius, and everything he said, oh, he's so brilliant, you know? 
Well, this is a picture of sometime after I was born. There aren't any baby, baby pictures from me, and here's why. Reason why is I was adopted. And so the story of my birth is a little bit different than many people's. My birth mother was 16, and when she became pregnant with me, she gave birth to me when she was 17. And because of the day and age in which she lived, she was taken from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and she went over to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and she was there, from what I recall, with some family, and that's where she gave birth to me. Well, right after she gave birth to me, my adopting mother, my adoptive mother, lived in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Canada, which is up north of Vancouver Island, and she was given a phone call saying, someone just came into the hospital, they gave birth to a healthy baby boy, you need to buy a plane ticket and come pick him up. And so my, my adoptive mother had to wait 10 days before she was allowed to fly in. And she told me all she did was walk in with a basket and some clothes. She walked into the hospital there in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. She signed a few documents. She proved who she was with a passport, and they handed her to me. And off I went. Can we put that picture up again? (laughs) I just want to see genius at work. I mean, come on. Am I right? But let me explain something to you. The story of my birth tells you something about me and the trajectory of my life, does it not? And the birth of the church and what happened on the day and even specifically the day on which it happened, which is a high Jewish holiday, there's something about that story that tells us about the church and who we are and what we're supposed to be about and, and what we are supposed to be doing as a church. And so let me just very briefly describe to you what happens as the church is being born. As I was reading earlier, you would notice that in Acts chapter 2, it says they were all together in one place, and it was the day of Pentecost. We know from other scripture, they're also in the ancient city of Zion, the city of Jerusalem. So what ends up happening is, Jesus is dead, buried, and resurrected. The end of the Gospel of Luke tells us that in resurrected form, Jesus goes around re-recruiting the disciples that have exited after his death. And so Jesus has gone around, he has re-recruited them, and in resurrected body, Jesus has appeared to all of these disciples that at one time followed him, but because of his death and his execution, literally many of them had headed for the hills. And so, what ends up happening is Jesus goes around, he reconnects with them, and then Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 tells us that there was this group of 120 who had stayed in Jerusalem, Jesus had reconnected with them, and in the midst of that, they're in this upper room, and in the upper room is where the Holy Spirit falls, and we read about what we just read. It's fascinating. The Bible tells us there was men and women. Not only was there just men and women, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in the upper room. And it's there where the Holy Spirit falls, 
and the church is born. Now, interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit falls in what's called the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is a very unique Jewish holiday. The primary Jewish holiday many of us are familiar with, it's Passover. But 50 days after Passover, God had ordained that there would be another feast, another celebration to commemorate God's goodness to the people of Israel after they had passed, the death angel had passed over them, they had exited Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land. That second wonderful celebration is known as Pentecost. Penta meaning 50. 50 days after the Passover celebration, the Jewish people would gather together again, again at the command of God to celebrate God's goodness. Interestingly, by the time of Jesus, it also was utilized to celebrate the giving of the law of God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so what I want to do is just read for you the description, and it'll be up on the screen, from Exodus 19.16, where God's commandments, those ten commandments, are given to Moses. Here's what it says. On the third morning of the day, there was thunder and lightning, and a thick cloud, oh, and with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed, billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Then, maybe you've never read the book of Exodus, Moses climbs up onto Mount Sinai, and in the midst of everything we just read, God brings to him on stone tablets the Ten Commandments. But here's what I want you to notice. Pentecost has become a commemorative event, a celebration feast commanded by God of the Jewish people, and it's to commemorate the giving of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the reasons for that feast. Don't you see in the wisdom of God the similarities between what happened on the Mount Sinai when Moses receives the law and what happens in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the church is born? The Bible tells us that they're in the upper room and there's the sound of a violent rushing wind. This whole room begins to shake and tremble. God begins to recreate Mount Sinai, but now it's inside of the upper room as those 120 followers of Jesus are there and God shows up simply to duplicate what happens on Mount Sinai, but instead of giving more law, God gives the Holy Spirit. And so what God is saying to anyone who would listen is that now to live for me and to walk with me is no longer about fulfilling Ten Commandments, which had grown by the end of the Older Testament to be 613 laws. Now what it looks like to follow God is to follow Him through His Word, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And so here you have these 120 people, and they're in the upper room, and God in His goodness moves by the Holy Spirit, and as He does, not only does the room shake, not only is there the sound of a violent rushing wind, kind of like a jet engine that revs up in this room, but also look at the goodness of God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes down and like little flames begins to separate and rest on each of them. Instead of the fire on the mountain of God like on Mount Sinai that put sheer terror into people's hearts, now God in His spiritual reality comes down and tongues of fire rests on each one of them. You see, the birth of the church is the call of God that now there's this new way in which we can follow Him. Not only this, but I believe with all of my heart that as you noticed and I noticed in reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 1, that God gifted them with the ability to speak languages that they had never learned. And through the speaking of those languages, unity begins to happen around this new thing that God's beginning to do. And they're able to speak in languages they've never learned. And they're declaring the glories of God. Well, here's what I believe. I believe God is now repairing supernaturally the division that took place at the Tower of Babel. Maybe you have never read the Older Testament. But in the Older Testament, in Genesis chapter 11, there's an incredible story about how all of the people on earth had gathered together and they were working in unison together, but pride had filled their hearts and they were beginning to build a tower towards God. And in the midst of building this tower, they said to each other, we're going to build a tower to God. And even though God told us to scatter and to multiply and to fill the earth, we're going to stay together. And really what this tower was was this sign of human rebellion and just kind of building this tower saying we're going to reach heaven and we're going to be greater than God. In the midst of that rebellion, God shows up and he does one thing. He confuses one language. They all spoke one language. And God shows up and takes away language ability. And when he does, mass confusion hits. And the Tower of Babel isn't completed. And then the people begin to scatter because they can no longer work in unity as they once had. Well, I believe with all of my heart, with the birth of the church, God sends the Holy Spirit and people now can speak languages they have never learned. And instead of bringing disunity, it brings unity. Instead of people scattering, now they're beginning to gather together. And God pours out His Holy Spirit and enables people to do that and order that this new thing called the church would be supernaturally united. The other thing God does at the birth of the church is pour out His Spirit. I would say this. I can't thank God enough for the movement of the Holy Spirit. I can't. I can't thank Him enough. I know what it's like to sit here in a service or to be in the midst of prayer or being in the midst of dealing with a person or in the midst of a conversation and all of a sudden you sense God's presence. You know, I know what that's like as your lead pastor. Look, there's times where I've been in meetings 
And in the midst of meeting with people or trying to lead city, trying to hear from God, listen to people and study the scripture, all of a sudden in the midst of the meeting, some, all of a sudden, I'll just say something. And people will go, whoa, that's really good. They'll think, wow, that was really good. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit just kind of dropped that heavy revy on me in the midst of this. How many of you have ever been in the midst of something and as a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden there's a knock on your heart where God says, I would not do that. Don't keep going in this direction. How many of you have ever experienced that? And then how many of you have ever pushed through that knock on your heart and about six minutes later you figured out why God was trying to tell you don't do that? Look, I'm married. This happens to me all the time. The Holy Spirit says, don't say that. I wouldn't say that. You idiot, you just said that. Now my peace is gone. Pete, I'll see you in about an hour. But you see, in the midst of life, with the birth of the church, the beginning of the church, God pours out His Holy Spirit, and I'm going to tell you why. It is impossible to do church without the presence of God. It is impossible. And here's why. There are people sitting in this room that if it wasn't for Jesus, no way, Jose. In the natural, no way. But supernaturally, there is a unity that God can give by the power of the Spirit that absolutely supersedes any human differences. I want you to notice how in Acts chapter 2, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's this meticulous listing of people. You want to know why? Those people are not just from all over the known world. Many of those people don't get along. They're from different cultures, different races, different colors and creeds and backgrounds. And yet God on the day of Pentecost begins to move by His Spirit and people from every nation under heaven begin to experience the moving of God. It's a powerful thought. The other thing to be aware of is that there in the upper room, there's men, there's women, and out on the street, we listed and we read that long litany of the different nations and tribes that were present. But here's what I want to say to you. That the upper room happened because Jesus had emailed an Evite to 120 people. You can read the Evite with me. It's going to be up on the screen. And it's Jesus' invitation to the birth of the church. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 8. Here's what it says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave this command. Now remember, he's in resurrected body. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He is now going around gathering his disciples together as they had taken off after his death. Now he's resurrected. They're excited. They're gathering back together. And Jesus is eating a meal with them. And here's what he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth all the way to Charlottesville, Virginia. You see, in the Evite that Jesus sent out, he said, here's where it's going to take place. It's going to be in Jerusalem. And I want you to wait because God has promised the sending of his spirit. And if you will wait, God will come upon you and you will receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of this earth. And can't you see the beauty of God? On the day when the church is born, these people speak languages they've never learned. And already, they're reaching the ends of the earth. Because these Jewish people were visiting Jerusalem from all over the known world. And they were there celebrating Pentecost. And in the midst of Pentecost, the church is born. And the Holy Spirit touches them as well. And what ends up happening at the end of this wonderful Pentecostal experience is they fan back out to the far reaches of the known world and with them they carry the gospel of Jesus. Why church? And why is the church's birthday so important for you and for me? Here's why. If you look at the birth of the church, here's what you'll discover. The church equals a group of people who are called by Jesus to gather together. And when they do, the Holy Spirit shows up. That's the church. The church is a group of people that have been called by Jesus. And here's what I want to tell you. None of you are here by happenstance or mistake. Whether you know it or not, Jesus still sends out Evites to be a part of what he's doing. The Holy Spirit still taps hearts to be a part of what he's doing. Oftentimes, people will ask me, Pete, how old is City Church? And I'll say, well, we are older than 75 years old. You know that. This church is north of 75 years old, but the truth of it is, we are actually part of a church that's 2,000 years old, and we find our roots in the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, because on that day, people responded to the Evites of Jesus, they gathered together in a room, and when they did, the Holy Spirit showed up. And when that happens, we have church. Let's stand together as we close.